The Three Nails From Robert We had lived in our starter house for two years. Not much had happened. Keys missing when left on the table. The house was built in 1948, so it still had plaster walls. Our daughter was nine months old at the time, still very much crawling. We had just gotten a new family photo framed. My wife asked me to hang it over our dinner table. I got the necessary tools, hammer, level, pencil, and three nails. I always bent at least one, trying to hammer in the plaster. And I love that joke from the crow about putting Jesus up for the night. My wife was putting a new tablecloth on the table, so it was freshly cleaned and just bare wood. I put the tools in a dining room chair and put the three nails on the table. There was nothing on the table but the nails. I placed the picture, marked the nail placement, and went to grab the hammer. As I turned to grab a nail, they were gone. The table was totally empty. Knowing my daughter was crawling, I was concerned she might pick up a nail and put it in her mouth. I called my wife in, asking if she'd clean the nails from the table. She said no. I looked all over the floor and couldn't find them. My wife and I scoured the floor looking for them. Nothing. After ten minutes of looking, I figured they fell into a vent or something. I just needed new nails. I went over to the garage and got three new nails. I went straight to it and put two of them on the table and drove one into the wall. The first nail went in straight and perfect. I turned to pick up the extra nails, and there were five on the table. We have since had many similar occurrences. Huddled Figures from Chris A local ghost tour company here in Calgary has been running tours for quite a while now between the spring, summer, and fall seasons. Many of the places toured include older sections of the city. This specific tour was of the historic neighborhood of Inglewood. Just to give you a brief history of Inglewood, Fort Calgary is located at the entrance of this neighborhood. It was established in 1875 and eventually annexed to the city in 1911. Many of the attractions include the Calgary Zoo, the historic Dean House, purportedly rated as one of Canada's most haunted houses, the Rouge Restaurant, formerly A.E. Cross House, A.E. Cross is known as one of the big four founders of the Calgary Stampede. This house is also haunted. As well as Fort Calgary, where this story and sighting took place. As an avid photographer and obvious ghost-slash-ghost-story lover, I usually jump at the opportunity to participate in these types of tours. At the time of this tour, Fort Calgary still had its walls standing. Calgary loves to remove any remnant of its history. And we were brought into the inner part of the fort to hear some of the stories that the tour guides had for us. This was a late October night, and in typical Calgary weather fashion, it was cold and lightly sprinkling snow. Fort Calgary is somewhat closely located to a large homeless shelter, so it was not uncommon to see homeless people wandering the area. Upon entering the fort, you go through a narrow door, which leads to the inside courtyard area. This is an important point to this story. I happened to look to my left towards one of the outer walls. It was very dark out, and the only light source were camera flashes of the other patrons, as well as that of the fake lantern that the tour guide was carrying. I was one of the first people in, and situated myself near the back by the entrance. Once in, I happened to look to my left when I noticed two black figures that appeared to be huddling down and facing each other. 
Again, this was a very cold night, and with the homeless population gathering around here, I figured it was two people who were already in the fort, seeking shelter from the weather and trying to stay warm, unaware that we were about to enter. I was also taking pictures of the inside of the fort, including taking pictures towards that area. I took several pictures hoping to capture something unusual. After the stories of the fort were told, we all exited and continued on our way. Later on that night, I decided to review my photos when suddenly I realized that the pictures I took of the fort towards where I saw the two black figures huddled appeared to contain no people in them. This is weird because as I previously stated, the entrance to the fort was small and narrow and I was right next to it. If there were actually two people huddled down next to the wall and wanted to leave, they would have had to pass by me. This did not happen. I often wonder if it was an image of two former soldiers huddling together to stay warm in a time long past. Maybe they noticed us and were afraid of us. It didn't scare me, but it intrigued me, because it was as clear as day, yet nothing appeared on camera. I don't want to automatically assume that it was a ghost sighting. It's just an intriguing and unexplained situation that I was lucky to have witnessed. Dreaming of Fire From Amanda I've been debating sending in this email for a while now, mostly because I'm convinced my life isn't interesting and my experiences are all fake. Thanks, Anxiety. I consider myself as sensitive to the paranormal, and I'm able to see people's auras and pretty accurately describe their personality. I know it sounds like a TV psychic who asks, has anyone ever had a grandma named Sylvia in New Jersey? I see auras around people and the different colors, wavelengths, and patterns all mean different things. Everyone also has a certain level of black in their aura, tight to their body, and that represents the shit they've been through. I've actually been brick-walled by someone. Long story short, a friend asked me to read someone, and just as I was getting a sense, a literal brick wall swung down in my mind and hit me in the face, knocking me over physically. I wasn't able to read that person after that, but they had some of the most black I've ever seen in an aura. Anyway, the reason I'm writing to you guys is because I have pretty weird dreams. Mostly I blame my anxiety. My molars will fall out of their sockets, but I can't spit them out, and I can actually feel them rolling around in my mouth. Or I'll dream I've been driving in someone else's car and have no control over the gas or brakes, and I'm always on a highway and launch off an exit ramp, waking up before I hit the ground. I also have super vivid dreams with friends or family members that years later will cause me to have deja vu. All of that could be put off as normal in the dream realm, but there is one dream I had 12 years ago that I cannot shake. I even wrote it down for an English assignment that year and got entered into a short story contest. I wish I still had it, but it's been lost to time and multiple moves. I cringe thinking about it, but 7th grade me decided to type it all up in a maroon script font because I thought it was edgy. I'll try to retell it the best I can. It's a long one. I apologize. The dream was set in roughly the late 1800s in my parents' house, which wasn't built until the 1970s. It was just me and my two sisters. Our parents had recently died in a wagon fire. Our house was about a half mile out of town, so no one really came in to check on us. My younger sister, Kathy, was having a rough time with our parents' passing, as she was only nine, and my older sister, Diane, and I, we're doing our best to keep the house and maintain a sense of normalcy. 
Diane and I shared a room, and Kathy had moved into our parents' bedroom, keeping the curtains drawn and the door locked. I was obviously worried, but Diane told me it was just her way of grieving. There was a small chicken coop in the backyard that was my responsibility, and I spent a lot of my free time there, reading or drawing. One afternoon, Diane was making lunch, and I had been laying in our room, and Kathy was locked up in her room as usual. Diane called to us, so I knocked gently on Kathy's door, but got no answer. I took the spare key from the top of the door frame, pretty stupid to keep this key right above the locked door, but eh, whatever, and slowly opened the door. Kathy was sitting in the center of the floor and was chanting something. She didn't look human. I immediately closed the door and put the key back, racing downstairs to tell Diane. She was out in the garden picking some fresh green beans to go with lunch and didn't believe my frantic revelation that Kathy had killed our parents and was worshipping the devil. She said that was impossible. Kathy was just a kid and there's no way she would do that. Kathy was suddenly in the doorway, staring at us. At me. We went inside and had lunch, but I kept my eyes on my plate and finished quickly. Later, I was in the chicken coop turning the hay and collecting eggs when I smelled something. I looked to the entry to see flames crawling up the door and the small coop quickly filling with smoke. I panicked and tried kicking the door down, but the bar to lock it at night was firmly in place. I looked around and saw the small hen door was open. I honestly don't know how I wriggled through it, but I did, with a lot of effort. I walked around to the front of the chicken coop to see what had happened, and Kathy was standing there with an axe, a psychotic smile on her face. It dropped when she saw me still alive, and she charged at me, raising the axe high above her head. I caught the handle of the axe as she was swinging it down, and we fell, wrestling for it. She was so unnaturally strong, she easily overpowered me. She straddled me, and was raising the axe again when she was struck in the head by a metal pail. Diane stood behind her limp body, eyes wide in shock. We didn't say a word as we rushed into the house and locked the back door. I immediately started packing, yelling at Diane to grab only what she needed. She obviously was panicking, repeating to herself how this wasn't possible. So I did what any sister would do. I slapped her. She screamed, but it worked, and I told her again to pack only what she needed. She raced upstairs as I was making sandwiches. We're trying to run for a murderous sister, but hey, let's make some food for the road. I was using a large knife to cut the sandwiches in half, why I have no idea, and sliced my left palm. It might as well have happened to me while I was sleeping. The pain was that real. I ran to the bathroom and rinsed it, crying as the water hit the open wound. Diane rushed down, worried Kathy had somehow gotten inside and hurt me. I reassured her it was my own stupidity, and she sent me upstairs to pack, and she would finish the sandwiches. Again, why we needed sandwiches, I'll never know. I raced up the stairs, but instead of going into my own room, I went into Kathy's. And sure enough, when I opened the door, there was a giant pentagram in black paint with fresh and dried blood layered over top. I heard Diane scream from downstairs, followed by an unholy rumbling sound. I raced to the top of the stairs when I saw black, churning smoke race up towards me. The house was shaking, and from the middle of the smoke, Kathy was screaming. But it wasn't her. Something was inside of her, using her. She was on all fours with her stomach to the ceiling, but her head was twisted the right way around. Her blonde hair was stringy and dark, matted with her own blood where Diane had struck her. Her eyes were completely black, and her mouth was larger than was possible, 
as a horrible, guttural scream came from deep inside of her. She was scrambling up the steps toward me when I remembered I still had the giant, stupid kitchen knife. Without thinking, I plunged it into the top of her head. She howled and writhed for a moment before the black smoke engulfed her and disappeared, taking her and the knife with it. There was a bit of a jump scene to a week or so later, when Diane and I were standing outside of the house looking back at its suitcases in hand. Without a word, we started walking towards town, never to step foot in that hellhole again. I took one look back and saw a shadowy figure that looked like Kathy in a second floor window. I shuddered and faced forward, not saying anything to Diane. So, obviously my 13-year-old self wakes up completely scared shitless and now terrified of my younger sister. I never told her about my dream and a few days later I wasn't afraid of her anymore because I knew it was just a dream. But everything was so damn vivid, from the smells and sounds to the physical and emotional pain I experienced. I've never had another dream like it. Normally when I have a realistic dream, I know I'm dreaming, but this was like living in this dream. Like I said, I wrote it all down and submitted it to my English teacher who forwarded it into a creative writing contest where I think I got an honorable mention. Of course, she commended me on making up such an interesting story and I never told her it was a dream I actually had in fear of her making me go see the school counselor. To this day, I can still picture my little sister demon crawling up the stair, surrounded by black, billowing smoke, like it was in real memory, like something that actually happened. 